Shalom. And welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher. This week's Parasha is Ki Tisa. In uh, the broadest sense, Parasha Ki Tisa has uh, two uh, parts to it. First part is the final instructions for the Mishkan. And the second topic is uh, the sin of the golden calf uh, and its aftermath. So we will start with uh, the final instructions for building the Mishkan. Um, Torah starts off by saying that uh, you are to collect from everyone uh, the same coin, a half shekel coin, uh, no more, no less, and this will, this uh, the silver that will be collected from that will be used towards the building of the Mishkan. Uh, but uh, it is also available to, to to take a census. In other words, uh, if you want to know how many people there are, especially for the purpose of the uh, knowing the size of the standing army, so you collect the same amount from everyone. And then you count the coins, and then you know how many. Uh, from this we learn uh, that uh, it is uh, prohibited to directly count uh, Jews, uh, and uh, that this donation of a half shekel is a, an obligation, not only for the building of the Mishkan, but even into the future, uh, where a half shekel was, uh, was taken, uh, was donated, and then used for the, for the Beit HaMikdash, for the sanctuary. Um, Nowadays, it isn't a mitzvah in that sense, but we still do uh, a remembrance of the half shekel, uh, uh, certainly before uh, before Purim. Then, uh, the Torah continues to talk about uh, the basin, it's called the kiyol, and its stand. Uh, that, that has to be built, it has to be made out of copper, and... It is to be filled with water, and uh, the Torah does not give uh, specific dimensions of it, but it does say where it's supposed to be placed, namely in the uh, in the yard uh, area outside of the Mishkan per se. And the Kohanim will use the water from this uh, kio to wash their hands and their feet before any kind of service in the Mishkan, special mitzvah that they must do so. Then the Torah goes on to talk about uh, the making of the oil, the special oil for the purpose of uh, anointing. This oil uh, is made from olive oil, of course, uh, and it is to contain uh, incense as well. It's going to be used for anointing the various parts of the Mishkan and for anointing the Kohanim, and it is forbidden to use it for any other purpose or to make it for private use. Uh, the next part is about uh, the making of the incense, the ketoret. Uh, it is to be uh, made of the ingredients that the Torah talks about in great detail, and uh, it is to be burned on the incense altar, which we learned about last last week's parasha. And once again, the incense is forbidden uh, to reproduce, in other words, to make the same, the same uh, compound for private use, 
or to use that which has been made for the Ketoret uh, for uh, any other purpose. Uh, the Torah then goes on to tell us about the artisans of the Mishkan, who will supervise, design, and execute all of the various parts of the Mishkan. Uh, the one in charge will be Betzalel, who is from the tribe of Yehuda, and his uh, second in command, his assistant, will be uh, Oholiav, from the tribe of Dan. And these are people, especially Betzalel, who is knowledgeable in all of the various skills uh, that are necessary for building the Mishkan, and he can uh, supervise uh, all the others who are uh, making it. At the very end of these final instructions for building the Mishkan, uh, the Torah also talks about Shabbat, and that the Shabbat must be observed. Later on, I will talk about what is the connection of Shabbat, and why is it placed here at the end of the uh, description of the building of the Mishkan, the instructions for building the Mishkan. Then we move into the second part of the parasha, as I said, the sin of the golden calf. Uh, So first, uh, at the end of giving all of the mitzvot, Hashem gives Moshe the Luchot Habrit, the two tablets of the testimony. Uh, but then we find out that uh, the people uh, in the camp have uh, relapsed into some form of idolatry. They think that Moshe is dead, or, or maybe just late, but no, no matter what, uh, they are, uh, they're plunged into a panic. Uh, they don't know what to do. And they turn to Aharon, and Aharon says, uh, get your wives and your children's gold. Um, and uh, we find out later that Aharon is doing this in order to uh, stall for time, thinking that this will take some time, and then uh, in the meanwhile, Moshe will return. Uh, but in the meanwhile, uh, they make a calf uh, after melting down all of the gold, and... Uh, they build an altar. It seems that the altar is to Hashem, uh, so that the calf is not a uh, substitute for God. It's not a rejection of God, but it is certainly forbidden, because what they've done is they made a molten image, uh, a graven image, which uh, the Torah uh, says is forbidden, and they had heard this directly from Hashem's uh, voice uh, not, uh, not that long ago. Uh, but it's very possible that they think that the calf will serve uh, Moshe's task to be, as it were, kind of an intermediary between themselves and Hashem. So the people sacrifice and they celebrate. Uh, Hashem uh, alerts Moshe to uh, what has happened. Uh, Hashem is very angry. Uh, he says to Moshe, uh, you have to go down and uh, and uh, just allow me to and I will destroy the entire people uh, and then start over with Moshe. And so Moshe approaches in order to pray to Hashem to avert this destruction. Uh, part of his argument is that if he destroys the people, then Egypt 
place from which they came, will take this as a sign of, God forbid, God's weakness. And that is not, uh, that's not good for the world to think of God as weak. Uh, furthermore, uh, Moshe implores Hashem to remember his covenant, his brit that he made with Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. These, uh, these uh, people are the descendants of Abraham, Yitzhak, and, uh, and Yaakov. And so Hashem says, I will not uh, destroy the people. Uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, all of the danger is over. Uh, Moshe brings down the tablets, which have been written by Hashem, and there is a, an encounter, there's a dialogue between Moshe and Yehoshua, because Yehoshua uh, was positioned partway up the mountain, so he isn't aware exactly of what's going on in the camp, but um, he hears sounds, and so he says to uh, Moshe that it sounds to him like there's war in the camp, and Moshe uh, says, uh, no, that's not, that's not war, but it is a very oppressing uh, sound. And so Moshe comes down and sees the children of Israel not only uh, worshipping, uh, paying tribute, paying honor to the golden calf, but they also are celebrating. Uh, and uh, at this, Moshe hurls down the tablets, he breaks them, he burns the calf, he grinds it up, uh, scatters the ashes uh, onto the water uh, for the people to drink. And then there is a dialogue between Moshe and Aharon. How could this have happened? And Aharon tries to explain uh, what he was doing. And uh, he says the people were out of control and the, the, uh, the calf was the result of that. Uh, Moshe calls for people who are prepared to execute those who actually committed idolatry. And it's the tribe of Levi that steps forward. And the tribe of Levi steps forward and they use their swords and uh, execute, it says, about 3,000 people. Moshe says to Hashem that if you will not pardon them, then I want you to erase me from your book uh, that you have written. Uh, in other words, Moshe is saying, I, if there is no people of Israel, then I serve no purpose uh, and I want you to remove me. Hashem says, I will only destroy and blot out the name of those who deserve it. Uh, and so uh, I'm not going to destroy the people and I'm going to erase the names of the major culprits. Uh, and although I'm not destroying the people of Israel uh, now, uh, but they still deserve some form of punishment. So Hashem says that every time in the future the Jewish people deserve uh, punishment, that will include, uh, in, in some part, some punishment for the sin of the golden calf. Uh, Hashem is still angry, and so he wants to withdraw his divine presence. He says that I will send an angel to lead the people instead, and when the people uh, hear about this, they mourn, they, they feel terrible uh, as to... Uh, the depths to which they have sunk, and uh, they even remove their ornaments, and Moshe moves uh, his tent uh, outside the camp for people who have uh, uh, need for communing with Hashem, uh, inquiring of Hashem uh, to, to, to go to, 
uh, and uh, Moshe himself continues to commune with Hashem. So he prays, and uh, what he what he says is, "Do not remove your presence. Don't send an angel in your place. Uh, please continue to have your presence dwell in our midst." And if I have found favor in your eyes, then I ask that you show me uh, your ways. Give me a deeper understanding of the way that you, Hashem, uh, run the world. And Hashem says, I will cover you and you will be able to see my back. Uh, But you will not see my face because no one, not even Moshe, can see God's face uh, and live. And so Moshe reascends, um, taking a second set of tablets. Um, and while he's there, Hashem says to him the 13 attributes of God's mercy, uh, which are expressed by Hashem. Uh, but uh, we know about them in the future uh, because uh, reciting the 13 attributes of Hashem's mercy uh, sincerely uh, in public uh, helps goes a long way to bringing about Hashem's forgiveness. And then, um, after this, after uh, the, the terrible sin of the golden calf has been um, not completely forgiven, but uh, certainly has been what we might call a stay of execution, uh, but they still need uh, punishment. And uh, Hashem is uh, going to return his uh, presence, but because they broke the covenant, they need to have the covenant uh, renewed. And so, we have a section uh, in the in the uh, this part of the parasha uh, talking about mitzvot that we have seen before. Uh, it's uh, for the most part a repeat of the mitzvah of the mitzvot that we learned back in uh, Mishpatim. Um, the uh, Torah talks about the prohibition of all forms of idolatry, talks about observing the pilgrimage festival, the festivals that's Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. In this way, um, uh, they can remain uh, connected to Hashem regularly, uh, sanctify the firstborn to Hashem, uh, uh, observe the Shabbat, and uh, it concludes by repeating the prohibition against uh, combining milk and meat through uh, through cooking, uh, or indeed eating or deriving any kind of benefit from a uh, milk-meat uh, combination. Hashem says, uh, towards the end, uh, that it is time to write the words of the covenant again, and Moshe goes up on how uh, Sinai for another another forty days and forty nights. Chazal explained that this is uh, that really all together there are three sets of forty days and forty nights. The first set before when Moshe brought down at the end of which Moshe brought down the first luchot. Uh, then uh, a set of forty days and forty nights to obtain Hashem's forgiveness, and then uh, a third set. Of 40 days and 40 nights to actually bring down the second uh, set of luchot. Um, when Moshe uh, comes down, uh, he is unaware of the fact that uh, his face is uh, shining 
and uh, because of its uh, Moshe's proximity uh, to the divine presence, it's had that effect. And so he places a veil over his uh, face, uh, and he's able to uh, to teach the people with a veil over his face. But then when he goes to commune uh, with Hashem, uh, he removes the uh, he removes the veil. And that uh, brings us to the end of uh, this uh, parasha. Now I said uh, that we would talk about uh, Shabbat. Why is it that at the end of all of the instructions, the last instructions for the building of the Mishkan, the Torah uh, reiterates the importance of uh, Shabbat? Um, And we, by the way, will see a repetition of this later on, uh, that there will be a placing of Shabbat right next to the Mishkan later on in uh, in Parashat uh, Vayakel. So why are they next to each other? Why are these uh, why are these uh, laws? Uh, why are the laws of Shabbat placed right next to the uh, laws of uh, of the Mishkan? What Hashem says is that. Uh, he starts off with the words "ach," nevertheless, or however, you must keep my Shabbat, my Shabbatot, because it's a sign between me and you throughout your generations, so that you will know that I am God who sanctifies you. Uh, you shall keep the Shabbat because it's holy. Uh, goes on to say that uh, the penalty for violating the uh, desecrating the Shabbat, um, but the Torah says. Uh, time and time again, on Shabbat, it's a day of rest, and it is a day not to do any uh, melacha, um, which uh, very simply um, refers to creative activity, but we'll come back to that. And uh, six days you do do the work, but on the seventh day uh, you refrain from doing that, uh, from doing any kind of creative activity, and uh, the people of Israel should observe the Shabbat throughout their generations. Uh, it is a sign between Hashem and the uh, people of, uh, of Israel uh, because uh, Hashem created the universe in uh, six days and rested on the seventh and thereby um, uh, by observing the Shabbat one is, you could say, attesting to the belief in God as the creator. So, uh, why is Shabbat placed right next to the Mishkan? Rashi uh, points to the fact that the word ach, however, nevertheless, is a limiting word, and his way of understanding it is um, that although I've been commanding you to work on the building of the Mishkan, uh, that is something that you are required to do, and you are required to do that uh, six days a week, However, when Shabbat comes, uh, you refrain, you stop uh, building the Mishkan. So the word ach, nevertheless, Rashi understands as a form of limitation. Uh, The Ramban uh, disagrees somewhat with the use of uh, ach in this way, um, because he points out that in the Talmud, uh, when a word like ach a limiting word is uh, is mentioned. The limitation is internal. In other words, what the what the Torah would be saying if Ach were operating its 
uh, in its usual way, is it would say, observe the Shabbat, um, observe the Shabbat, except. Uh, the exception would have to do with the observance of Shabbat, not for the work. Um, and uh, that's why he disagrees with uh, Rashi's uh, uh, analysis. He says the actual limiting nature of the word ach refers to those situations uh, where the halacha says one does not observe the Shabbat. For example, uh, in order to circumcise uh, a baby, the laws of Shabbat, uh, for the most part, are suspended, and certainly for the saving of a human life. Uh, for those reasons, so Ach would limit the observance of Shabbat to every, generally every situation, except for these special uh, special situations. Um, Furthermore, the Ramban says that the, the reason why the work in the Mishkan, work for the Mishkan, does not override uh, the Shabbat is because uh, the two passages are placed right next to each other. In other words, um, it's not so much for the word ach, but they're placed next to each other. The Torah has been giving instructions about how to build the Mishkan. Um, when when uh, the Shabbat comes... Uh, that work is to be uh, stopped. So it's not a technical uh, use, it's simply because they're placed next to each other, and that will happen again later on in the Torah when Shabbat and the Mishkan are placed uh, next to each other. Um, don't think that the building of the Shabbat, of the sanctuary, overrides the Shabbat. Uh, in fact, it is the Shabbat that uh, suspends the building of the uh, of the Mishkan. Uh, I should add that because of this um, juxtaposition of Shabbat and the Mishkan, we learn that uh, when the Torah says not to do any malacha on Shabbat, this helps us define which activities should be considered malacha. A malacha will be an activity that was necessary for the building of the uh, Mishkan. I thank you all very much for joining me in this exploration of Parashat Ki Tisa. This has been Rabbi Avraham Fisher for Parasha Highlights and Insights, saying Shalom.